0: Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
1: One of the more bizarre games in the swamp under heavy fog. After the play, unsportsmanlike
0: conduct. Number 11 of the defense throwing the LSU player's shoe 20 yards down the field. Oh, no.
1: Marco Wilson just picked up the shoe and threw it Seven or eight yards down the field. And gave LSU new life. The the Gators had them stopped. They were going to send the putter into the game. But they have new life. They've got a first down via a penalty. Out to their own 44-yard line. Inexcusable. Inexcusable. Cade York, the sophomore from McKinney, Texas. Going to try a 57-yarder. Middle of the field. Here's the approach and the kick. On its it's way, and it is good! Cade York with a school record 57-yard field goal. And the Tigers lead
0: 37-34 with 23 seconds remaining in this contest. College football. There you go. You know, uh, through the years, uh, denizens of the internet have enjoyed hearing the stories of the uh, fabled Florida man. A Florida man wear a T-shirt says he has drugs and then was arrested for having drugs. (laughs) We had a Florida man who broke into jail once just so he could hang out with his friends. Another who got tired of waiting for a ride home from the hospital. So he stole an ambulance to take himself home. And now we have another one. Marco Wilson, Fort Lauderdale, Florida native, Florida man through and through Florida gator. Blows UF's national championship playoff hopes because he hucked a shoe, a size 14. One of the all-time dumbest penalties. Wasn't even a really good throw. He didn't got to, He didn't got to step into it. <laughs> His own teammates started slapping him upside the helmet. Pat Forty, your thoughts on L.S. shoe? Oh. I mean, the puns. The puns are everywhere, too. Heart and soul. I mean, yeah. I oh, don't yeah. think it's as bad as as the dog urination, but it's 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 pretty close. They would have been fourth and six. LSU probably would have punted. Maybe they go for it. Whatever. Uh yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it was not quite
1: Elijah Moore lifting his leg like a dog, except. The stakes were higher this time. That was just whether or not you're going to be five and six or six and five or whatever the case was for Ole Miss and Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl. This is the college football playoff on the line. And Florida just disqualified itself because a player felt compelled to throw another player's shoe down the field. As I, I did love the refs call too, you know, uh, twenty yards downfield it was a bit of an exaggeration, but did get the point home that I think he was even like, "Can you believe this guy did this?" <laughs> you know, it was, oh, it was astounding. And that's college football. I mean, what a you know a beautiful mess of a sport. Things happen you could never ever dream up. You know, I mean, not in a, not in a lifetime. I said, there's a million ways to not make the playoff. Now there's a million and one because nobody (laughs) ever saw this coming. And the thing is, I mean, like I feel bad for Mark, Marco Wilson, uh, because I mean, it was an an incredibly stupid, selfish thing to do, but what do college age males do? Stupid, selfish, impulsive things. That is basically part and parcel of being a college age male for most, the vast majority of them will make a couple of incredibly bad decisions during their college years. Goodness knows I did. Uh, Unfortunately, Marco Marco Wilson made his on national television with his team fighting to uh, get into the college football playoff. But
2: what a moment uh, in the swamp, that's for sure. Well, I'm going to quote my mother, Patricia Thamel, on this. Uh, She always said, when the shoe fits, wear it. (laughs) Well, right now, <laughs> the shoe of infamy fits on Marco Wilson, and it also fits on Dan Mullen. Like, what a night to just self-destruct and then drown yourself in ridiculous excuse-making. So, Marco Wilson made a dumb kid mistake. He and Elijah Moore will be covering each other in one-on-ones in the Senior Bowl uh sometime soon, and or, or running next to each other at the Combine. Fine. Dumb college kid mistake. Really bad. but. Dan Mullen, for the second time this season, went on a temper tantrum after a loss that's clearly shown that he's not capable of handing losses very well. He went on to basically criticize the SEC's decision to play these games this week when the ACC had basically bailed out of the games. Now, that going into the game is a perfectly good argument, all right? To lose to a team with a losing record, down three starting defensive backs, dressing only 55 players, and starting a true freshman quarterback comes off as a winery full of sour grapes. And Mullen, I mean, I've never seen a remark so universally panned. Florida fans hated it. SEC fans hated it. Every other college football fan in the country hated it. I can only imagine Florida's administration is not thrilled with another bout of self-induced headaches. Considering their, their best basketball player is lying in a hospital in critical condition right now, like Dan Mullen manufactured drama at a place where there's actual drama. So the the whole night, uh, and I wrote this in takeaways, basically like Florida woke up like so many college students in Gainesville had. They're hungover, miserable, missing clothing and regretting things they said. All they need to do is go find their car. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was a good lead. I like that. That's good. The quote uh, is, I guess the best thing to do would have been to play less games because you seem to get rewarded for not playing this year. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah it's, uh, I love a good salty press conference quote. I mean, he's got a point. You know, if yes. you don't play the game, yeah, can't lose it. We've been saying that this is the genius of Ohio State this year. Can't lose. This is also why playing the games matter. Because yes, right. crap happens like a a fog overcomes Gainesville. You couldn't even see. And one of your kids loses his mind and throws a, a shoe and LSU plays better. Than, this is why it's college football. And that's why, quite honestly, you know, you know, I think everyone wants like a a, a yes or no. Like, do I think Ohio State's worth it or not? I'm not saying that, but Playing five games—that's not that ought to be a huge deal. That I don't think is a big deal at all. And I kind of get what he's saying there. Should he have said it after the loss? Of course not. You 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 lost to a you. You should have won the game. You self destructed. Your player screwed up. Uh, it's all that. Shouldn't say it then. But he does have a point in that. Like well guess what? Clemson didn't lose. Notre Dame didn't lose. And Ohio State didn't lose on Saturday because none of them played football during the football season. That's the thing is is you you limit your exposure to crazy things
1: happening. There there is certainly absolutely something to be said for playing the games. But as, as Pete said, the time to say that is not after you have just absolutely flopped in a massive fashion. I mean, this LSU team was in complete disarray. They, as Pete noted, way down on scholarship numbers, a lot of the almost, I mean, how many of their best players have opted out or were not playing in that game? Derek Stingley, the defensive back, Florida has everything to play for and just came in and just laid an egg the entire night, really. Defense was terrible. Kyle Trask had three turnovers in the first half. Uh, And then, yeah, the fog comes in to play a little role at the end there, which also led to a lot of really annoying camera angles during the game. Uh but it that that's that is not the time for Dan Mullen to come out looking like snipey Weiner.
0: Great quote, Coach O. I don't think I've ever been in a game where an opponent threw a shoe, to be honest with you. No. Actually, there has been. Uh I think BYU did it last year. Uh it happens. Mm. Shoes get thrown. Yeah. Uh <laughs> there was that great time when that dude threw the shoe. I wouldn't call it great, but the time that dude and Iraq threw the shoe at, at George Bush or wherever oh, he was. Yeah. Remember that one? <laughs>
1: Yeah, wish I had to yeah. dodge that
0: thing. That's probably his yeah. famous W, shoe w throw. showed
1: some reflexes there. He was quick.
0: Very quick. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, I was pretty, pretty excited when he dodged that, but that was a little odd. Um, so it's not the most famous shoe throw of all time, Marco. You're safe on that. Also, we'll soon forget you and you'll just be, remember that guy at Florida, like you will just become another Florida man, except your friends, like the friends and family know which Florida man threw the alligator into the Wendy's or stole the ambulance. <laughs> Or wore a shirt that said, I have drugs, and then got arrested for having <laughs> well, drugs. We, But the rest of us really don't. Just some guy from Ocala. Just some, you know, just some guy. So you'll, you'll, you'll get over it. You'll survive. I'm sure you feel terrible today. Maybe I'll give him a small sample Heisman. If he had thrown it better, I would have. Really just, you know, the pocket was kind of collapsing on him. He couldn't just step into it. Not there. Uh, Coach O, other quote. Uh, he didn't see it. I saw three flags on the ground, and I was very happy. So there it is. Uh, all right. Well, let's get to Mullins' point because this just throw the uh, pun intended, I guess, throw the um, the title, uh, the playoff chase into uh, flux. Here we we're basically looking at going in next week, where Florida, I thought, controlled their own destiny. If they beat Alabama, they're going to get in. Now, I think uh, if they beat Alabama, it would be a very very tough argument with two losses that said they would beat Alabama. So if they beat Alabama, you can call me Tinkerbell for the
2: remainder of our shows in uh, 2020. <laughs> okay, I mean, it's I, not going to happen. There is nothing don't want that, that indicated of what happened that, that they will not be. They, they will give up 100 points to Alabama. They yeah, but that's go, we, it was not going to happen
0: that LSU was going to be Florida. Either. Florida man always comes uh, back Totally though, different Florida man though. never. You think Florida man is down and then Florida man <laughs> rises. I I don't know what you're watching. No, I I I will pick when we do race for the case, we'll see what the spread is. I will probably pick Alabama. But but if they beat Alabama, do they get back in? Is all forgiven just by beating Alabama?
1: Pat. I don't think so. No, I don't I don't think so. I think they're too far out of it now. I mean, that was a very bad loss and it is two losses. We've never had a two-loss team in the playoff and I don't think we're going to start now. Texas A&M is one win against Tennessee from getting into the clubhouse with a better record and a head-to-head victory over Florida. You know, Clemson might be considered a better two-loss team if they lose to Notre Dame twice. Uh, I just think there's a lot of other alternatives ahead of a Florida. You know, yes, they would have the best victory of anyone in America this year because boy, does Alabama look increasingly good every time they play. But I still don't think that's enough to outweigh the debacle
2: that they went through uh Saturday night.
0: Pete, you think they're out basically. You're not even we're not even entertaining that they could beat Alabama. I,
2: yeah, I just I it's just so hard to fathom that. I, I will thank Florida for giving us like podcast gold. Cause if they had yeah. just made that field goal and won it overtime everything would be kind of status quo and it would be really boring again for another week. And we'd have to watch the Tuesday show while nodding off on, on ESPN. We know how much Dan loves the Tuesday show. So at least like, there's the power of possibility has been spread kind of throughout some other teams in the rankings. I don't think the possibilities are great. In some ways, it doubles down on the favorites more than anything else. But at least, like, there's, like, this little window cracked open where maybe some chaos can happen. And as anyone who listens to this podcast knows, we always root for chaos.
0: We did get a two-loss team in the BCS title game when LSU made it one year. Yep. Uh, yep. And I, I we use this in our book, of course, because it's one of the great marketing concepts ever. They were, quote, undefeated in regulation. Oh. <laughs> that was that was the argument. <laughs> right. That Les uh, Miles, Les Miles's wife came up with that. Kathy Miles said, "We're Les, you're undefeated in regulation. You lost two overtime games, and they went with it, and it worked." <laughs> <laughs> He's now winless in regulation, so the,
2: Les Miles has gone full coda. So um, you know
0: we're we're ten and one in games where no one throws a shoe. You don't know what might work. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Undefeated. Ten and one in non-fog games. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah. I mean, what do you want?
2: Uh, all right, so Pat, in that what was kid, the name of that Kentucky quarterback that beat them in overtime in Lexington? We covered that game. The big <laughs> Andre big Woodson. Of a kid. Andre Woodson. Who was it? Andre Woodson. Yeah, Andre Woodson. That's right. That's right. That was double OT. That was a fun game. That that's one of those. What was that? Oh eight. That oh no oh seven. The crazy year, right? That was oh seven. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. When everything happened, everything happened in oh seven. Missouri was number one that year.
1: Correct at one point. Kansas was in the national title race. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Missouri played as a one-two, didn't they? They did. They did. It was yeah. unbelievable. I was at the game. I was like, this is a mirage. I cannot really be seeing this.
0: <laughs> Boston College was number two at one point. I mean, like yes. everybody. So- got South
1: Florida. Florida. South
0: Florida yes. with Matt Grothy at
1: quarterback was number two at one point. <laughs> Matt
2: Grothy, yes. <laughs> I vividly remember being in Eugene, Oregon for a Ducks game. Watching a very important South Florida like Thursday night or Friday night game at that uh, what's that is it McMenamins that's right across from the 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 residence in there in Eugene uh, mm-hmm. just like vibrantly locked in on South Florida football <laughs> like think about that
0: all right so next week we have Notre Dame Clemson Notre Dame obviously wins they are in Notre Dame with a loss are they still in uh, I mean really the only way Florida was going to have a shot here is if they uh had beaten Bama to begin with. So uh do we feel at this everyone seems to think Bama can lose. Why can't Notre Dame lose? No, I think they can as long as it's
1: not 42 to three. You know, if if it's two touchdowns or less, maybe even 17 points or less, I, I think I don't think Notre Dame is, is out. Um, the
0: the all state playoff predictor that they keep <laughs> that rubbish that they put on ESPN <laughs> has them as like a like a 48% chance. I I, I don't even Ohio State's got a better chance. Last
1: night, last night at midnight, USC has 50% chance of making the
2: playoff. They were 15th in the rankings, I believe, last week. Like, yeah, wait, wait, the just, guy who puts that together won't be able to find his car this morning either. Like, I just can't. looked at that and I was like, no. Like, is this like, are they giving this just for podcast fodder? Like, is there, like, does someone actually has a formula for math? Like, they had a meeting about that graphic at some point And like, like, with a straight
0: face said, we're going to produce these results. It made no sense. Now, Alabama, ninety nine percent. All right. No problem. Basically, you'd have they'd have to lose by like 50 Mm -hmm. and have half the team injured or something. I don't know what would have to happen. So that's fine. Ohio State, 88 percent. How is that possible? I get because they they're just looking at it like I think historically, if you're unbeaten champion of a of a major conference, this is my guess. Yeah. Then you're automatically in. So they're basically saying Ohio State's got an 88% chance of beating Northwestern. That's, that's the only way I can come up with it. They've played five games. They've played five right. games. Now, I think they have a very good chance of getting in. I just don't know. 80. Notre Dame, 69%. Because they, they could lose, right? And yeah. then maybe they yep. could. No, I think Notre Dame's at like 95%. I've been saying that for yeah, weeks. Yeah, I, I would put
1: Notre Dame ahead of Ohio State as
0: far as probability. USC, which is currently 12th, I believe. Or 15th. Are they 15th? 15th, yeah. 15th. Is now at 50% of a chance. 50% shot for USC to get in. Clemson is at 45%. That's it. 45%. So right now, they're not a favorite to get in. Uh, and then AM is 34%. Now, last week they said if BYU beat coastal, they were gonna have a 50%, they're gonna have a 37% chance, which again, they had no chance. I don't know why they come up with this thing. Anyway, Clemson, okay. Here's the Clemson question: Can they lose twice to Notre Dame and still make the playoff? And Dabo uh, was on uh, with Rich Eisen, I think, this week, and he made the comments that, uh, "Hell yeah, we played all these games." And he's already in on it, right? Like uh, Brian yeah. Kelly's a little more like, "Well, you know," it's a he was a little more polite. Dabo's just like, "Yeah, now, now we're in, we're in. I feel like we're in. Win or lose, both teams are going. Notre Dame, Clemson, right? Dabo's just, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah." Um, obviously, they could lose again in overtime, so they could have the undefeated in overtime argument. Undefeated in regulation, yep. I mean, undefeated in regulation. I'm sorry. I mean, in fairness, if you're in terms of losing a game, now we have winners and losers in this sport. That's how it works. But the closest you could pretty much come to not losing the game, but losing the game, is double overtime on the road without your best player. So yeah. you know, I mean, it's someone had to lose, but that's how that's how we play it. So I don't know if Dobb would be so uh kind if it had swapped the other way. what is what's Clemson's argument if they're both in there? if they lose twice, obviously they win they're in.
1: Clemson's argument is that hey we lost to a really good team twice, but that it's also you still lost twice and their signature victory was over Miami and Miami just <laughs> absolutely was pulverized by. North Carolina and is dropping will drop significantly. I would think in the new rankings, the other problem for here's the thing with Dabo's thing and the ACC's thing is, well, you know, we're played 10 games. We've played 10 games. Yeah. You played the Citadel on September 19th. You we really want to count that as a big test as you know, getting out there and taking them on. I mean, come on. You played nine games plus the Citadel in a league that is still very top heavy. Uh, Now, you win against Notre Dame, you're in. You don't win, I don't know.
2: I'm not necessarily uh, buying Dabo's argument there. So two lost Clemson's fascinating to me. I mean, I think this like this is like probably the most interesting, polarizing team that that we're gonna have uh, that, that we're gonna have left here. Yeah, because it's two loss no good win Clemson. Really, like I mean, Miami was just a, a dumpster fire the other night, and yeah, the ACC just quite frankly doesn't really have a uh, doesn't doesn't really have a lot of uh, a lot of quality depth. I mean, honestly, it would really have. Helped Clemson a lot if they had ended up playing North Carolina at uh, at, at some point uh, at some point this season. But when you really pare down after Miami, what is Clemson's second best win? So you say they have two good losses. Uh, do they have two good wins? Is it Wake Forest? No. Is it Virginia? No. Is it Georgia Tech? No. Is it Syracuse? Definitely not. And they struggled in that game. Is it BC? six and no, five and they... Pittsburgh? Yes. It's six and five Pittsburgh.
0: Going back to the Notre Dame part to maybe move them to 99% is they have a two touchdown victory at North Carolina. Yes. Which probably yes. will end up as the top 15 I mean they were 17th. Yeah. I'm assuming they're moving up Ohio state, uh, in with a win. I think we've been saying all along, they're going to put them in. Yeah. Uh, they want to put them in. They ranked them high when they had four games. I mean, uh, this is, they can reverse engineer anything they want on this and they do. But is there, should they take a relook at how many games he's going to play? And let I me mean, guess add this at the same time. What do you do with USC, which could end up 6-0, is sitting right there. Can you just dismiss USC and say, well, you guys aren't good enough, but Ohio State is because we're going by the eye test. If you're going by the math test, then Coastal Carolina should be in this mix. May not get in, but Coastal Carolina has more wins undefeated. They have. They're playing in a championship game next week with the two best non-conference victories of the entire season are, get, are playing each other. Louisiana, 17-point win at Iowa State, and Coastal Carolina's whatever that was at B, against BYU. So yeah. those are the two best non-conference games, victories of the entire year, and they're playing each other next week in a championship game, and they're not in the mix. So it, it, when you don't put them in the mix, you say, this is not a math problem. This is an I. IP- i test rivals.com recruiting ranking you know logo question well if guess what usc has good players they have good recruits and they got a hell of a uniform (laughs) i mean shouldn't they be in this mix usc is fascinating to me because a
1: they they as for the reason you just said a they're undefeated and b they they do have the cachet of being usc but holy cow i mean I've I've I have written about it extensively this year, but the Clay Helton good luck tour is just is overpowering. I mean, it's unbelievable the way they they have pulled out three games in the last minute out of their five. They didn't have to play Colorado, which was the other good team in the South. Their original schedule this year, they were gonna play Alabama, Oregon, Notre Dame. Those games all disappeared, were replaced by a you know a selection of turnips. And, uh, you know, they've just kind of stumbled, fumbled, and pulled things out of their rear end along the way to get to this point. And now they're going to play Washington in the Pac-12 championship game. And Washington's like, what, three and one? And, uh, I mean, it's just really, really hard to look at USC and say,
2: ah, that team should be in the playoff. I... Yeah, I agree completely on on Helton. Like, we're going to look back in history and be like, how did Clay Helton last that long as USC's coach? The interesting thing now is, like, they've actually surrounded Helton with the best staff that he's had there and certainly the best recruiting that they've had there. I think they have nine ESPN top 300 commitments. Um, Graham Harrell's been an upgrade from what they've had. Todd Orlando's a big upgrade from Clancy Pendergast, who was an awful defensive coordinator. Like, all, all that said... Like there is nothing about USC that screams elite. They have no wins over top twenty-five teams. They have had some wonderful late-game moments and some nice comebacks, but um, it, it, at least Ohio State has that Indiana win. Like, like th- at least there is something you can you can hang their hat on, like and say, okay, they went up against a legitimate top fifteen team who was healthy, who had their star quarterback, and beat them. Um, now they barely beat them but they beat them. Um, there is at least like, but I do think USC creeps from like the 15 range with that last win. And now with this PAC 12 title game, by the way, somebody wrote a comment that said USC shouldn't should the PAC 12 should just give USC the title and not play a title game. Cause it devalues it. <laughs> that was one of the dumbest arguments that I've ever heard. <laughs> they were right. like, well, why waste, except it was why, spurred
1: by what everybody else is
2: doing to engineer things, you know, and manipulate well, yeah, it. like if the PAC 12 doesn't need less games, first of all, financially, yeah. it would be really stupid. Like, really, really stupid. Second of all, if you were trying to help USC sitting put, like, that would be like in yeah, high stakes right. poker, pushing in your chips and being like, I am going to stay. With my unmatched eight of clubs and four of diamonds, <laughs> let's go! Like it just—that makes no sense at all in any uh, in any way, shape, or form. It's it's kind of funny. Pac-12, right? They can't do anything right anymore. You know what I mean? Even if they do the right thing, they're not going to do the right thing. They, they, it just everything that has go, could go wrong for them has gone wrong. But I just again, is it I test? Like why don't I think US, USC has a playoff argument? I've just I've watched them. They don't look like they're in the same ballpark as these as these other teams. Um, and this is why from the beginning I wrote the Pac-12 had no chance because they just the Pac-12 isn't good enough to give itself the forum to get in the conversation, and they don't have the amount of games to get in the conversation. So here they are. So USC was 15. Maybe they get to eight or nine. Like Like you have to start looking at them against Iowa State being like, okay, they probably have better wins than Iowa State. I think Cincinnati is a better team than USC. I, and and no, I think they've no proven doubt. it. Cincinnati's no got doubt. multiple wins over ranked teams. They have a chance to get a third this weekend. I think if anyone has really been helped by this little Florida shakeup, mini chaos that we've had, I think it makes Cincinnati's argument strong. Oh, no, and Dan was 100% right. The, the, the books were cooked for Cincinnati. They were like, we're going yeah. to get this out of the way so it doesn't look obvious at the end. But I really think you need to reframe the, the, the Cincinnati argument. And if they beat Tulsa – that's a better win than a lot of the people ahead of them have, and they have two other ranked wins over a really good Army team who was ranked at the time because the AP poll is a little light. I will I will acknowledge that. And then they thumped SMU, who at the time was very good and is, has faded off a little bit. But... I, I don't know. Pound for pound, Cincinnati has just mauled everybody this year, too. Like, that's why I would take them over over USC. Like, they have mauled everybody that they that that they played. They had one struggle, but they, they've been they've been consistently
0: dominant. All right. Big news on Sunday afternoon. And Auburn has fired Gus Malzahn, something we've been kind of waiting for for like seven years. Talk about yeah. a rocky marriage. This thing was. It's like, no. Chloe Kardashian and Tristan Thompson broke up. I didn't see it coming. Like what? <laughs> on the rocks in love, on the rocks in love. Yeah, back forth. Everyone flirting with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Gus should have taken the Arkansas job two guys ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, and gone home to Arkansas where doing it. But I mean, I'm looking at this year. They're six and four. They lost to Georgia. They lost to Alabama. They lost to Texas A&M. That's and then they that that those three, which I think are all top I mean, teams, and they lost to South Carolina by eight in October. So that like was that the game that did it? And they just were sitting around waiting. Like I don't know, I don't know what New York rise for Gus. He was a high school, a coach up in up in Arkansas. He got he was the coordinator at Auburn for the national title run with Cam Newton, 2012. He takes over Arkansas State one season. And then get to Auburn. He he could beat Nick Saban more than most. They went twelve and two that first year, made it to the title game, lost, only had one more 10 win season. We've got a lot of four, five, six lost seasons in there. So this is where we're at. I don't know. Again, I thought he he, he should have bailed in seventeen, but then they had that they they tie they beat all, uh Alabama and got to Atlanta and all that, you know, so just sort of stuck around. But he's getting uh twenty one point something million. 4 million or something. I mean, you know, it's just the 0.4. I mean, who, who even cares about that? Uh, they owe him over 10 in the first 30 days. So it's going to be a flush Christmas at the Malzahn household. <laughs> All the sweater vests and Waffle House you want. So uh, it's going to be, Pat and I are going to discuss this because we had to do this later after we originally taped. Pete is off doing charity work for Playball Boston. He's literally running in a Speedo and a Santa hat or something. I don't you got to give him money. He's terrorizing the streets of Boston for charity. Uh, so he in here. So it's just us. Uh, Pat, your thoughts on, on Gus finally getting got, uh, you know, I, I guess that it was it was
1: doomed to happen at some point in time. But I didn't think this would be the point in time. But this is Auburn, man. The, the mercenary school of all mercenary schools. The just-win baby of college football and college sports, really, if you look at the basketball program as well. Uh, there is only one mortal sin at Auburn, and that is losing. And especially if you lose to uh, Alabama. Uh, now, Gus did—Gus had a better record against Nick Saban than just about anybody. He was 3-5 and five against him. Les Miles back in the day at LSU was three and seven. Nobody else beat Nick Saban more than twice, I don't believe. And that The other person that beat him twice was Hugh Freeze, whose name will certainly come up in the discussion of who replaces Gus Malzahn. Uh, but, you know, this financially is, I, I, I find it like absolutely impossible to swallow without a little bit of bile in the back of the throat. I mean, this is a $21 million deal. As you mentioned, 10.5 million within 30 days. And yeah, they've got the boosters to throw the money around, but eventually that comes back because the boosters then are not giving money for other reasons. This is a pandemic. Schools are losing millions and millions of dollars. And at Auburn, it's just basically, we don't care. We're tired of Gus and we want to win more. We want to do better than the six and four that we were this year. But they were 10 and 4 in 2017. They won the West. They were 12 and 2 in 2013. They won the West. When you're playing against Alabama and you're able to have seasons like that, that's few and far between. And I think that Gus Malzon did pretty darn good work at Auburn. Uh, I sure wouldn't have gotten rid of him in these circumstances when you're j- absolutely just throwing money around like toilet paper at Toomer's Corner. But uh, here we are, because that's who Auburn is, and that's what they do. Uh, the you know Winning in football and in basketball, again, since uh, Bruce Pearl remains employed there, is extremely important to them. So we'll see if they get Hugh Freeze or Mario Cristobal, Billy Napier, or even, hey, Lane Kiffin. Come on down and
0: take on Nick. We'll see Ooh. who's next. I, on the other hand, want to applaud the misplaced priorities. The naked ambition, the complete waste of money, uh, the total lunacy. I love it. This is what you got to. This is what it just means more, Pat. It just mm-hmm. means more. It does more money. No, I don't know. It's hard. Auburn. Auburn's kind of crazy job, right? Like it. It. It's really good, except who you got to play against, and that's namely LSU and and Alabama, right in your division. But they and Georgia you know, Houston, every year on the cross division. Georgia, yeah, your cross is Georgia. But you're, you're near Atlanta. You try to get something going. I think – I don't know how big of a role this was. Uh, Auburn's recruiting this year, and signing day is Wednesday. Uh, early signing day is terrible. They are yeah. 51st in the country right now. They have only have 12 commitments, and they do not have a verbal – they have one verbal since August. Wow. One kid, a three-star wide out from Texas. Wow. So I don't know if that played a role. I mean, they are usually – 10, 12, eight, you know, like they get a lot of good players at Auburn and they are getting, I don't know, maybe Gus. gave. I don't know what happened, but their recruiting is notably bad. Now a lot could happen in the last three days. A lot could happen to the finals, but that is not where you, know, you normally see Auburn that far down the list. and And you should be able to recruit great talent there. We have talked on this podcast before that all of us think Auburn is in terms of a game day environment oh. is absolutely second to pretty much none. And uh, you know, I always love army number one or something, but uh, it doesn't get the hype of a lot of stadiums, but that play is a yeah. pretty little town. It's an hour and a half from Atlanta. It's, you know, and, and I don't know, maybe Clemson stolen their program a little bit. Is that kind of nearby out of state school to go to? I always thought Clemson really stole Tennessee's program of late. Dabo stole Tennessee's program. And maybe it's Auburn's that they're not doing right now, you know, but it's a great job and you just, you need the right guy, but the expectations are really, really high. And again, I should they have fired him. I mean, he, he isn't he's they just sort of are there, but it's <laughs> he, he's not doing a phenomenal job, but you can do a lot worse. I guess that would be my thing. So it's like be a little careful what you wish for, because there's a lot of programs out there that thought, ah, oh, well, we'll we, this is this is the floor. This is, the, this is the basement here. Eight and four, four lost team. You know, we can't lose this up. You lose a lot of people. Just ask Tennessee mm-hmm. what's yeah. going on. Ask South Carolina what's going on. Ask, you know, Florida's had some bad years. So he at least brought, uh, let me check, but I don't think he ever had a losing season. He had one he losing not. season. He had two losing seasons in conference, no losing seasons. But he also had some seven and ones in conference. So, yeah. um, All right, so you, you throw out Lane Kiffin. Now that would be... Obviously, we've seen the the Ole Miss to Auburn jump before. I don't think a coach would do that now, and I also think because of the TV money, Ole Miss has money, Auburn right. has money. But I don't, I don't necessarily see that. But that'd be pretty interesting. Obviously, Hugh Freeze is a is a natural name to come up. Um, he was at Ole Miss. There's NCAA violations. Uh, I you know I've always found uh, you have the personal stuff is is what it is but I, I think that would be overlooked I always had a problem with Hugh Freeze because he literally lied to every single one of his players and recruits and their parents and said we don't have any this this is a minor case and it wasn't right and that's the kind of stuff I care about a heck of a lot more than what he's doing on his recruiting visits down in Tampa who he who is not isn't on his cell phone so but he clearly can coach football no one's ever denied that but you also have Billy Napier Mario Cristobal but you got to pay out Oregon I mean, it's going to be a very, very. This is very expensive for Auburn. It's not just what you pay Gus; you have to pay yeah. all the assistants, and then you're going to have to get all. The, I mean, it is a big hit at a time when you weren't able to fill that stadium like you normally have. Now, obviously, 2021 fiscal outlook is much better, and they just signed this gazillion dollar deal with ESPN. So, uh, I don't think Auburn's going to be. Uh, it's not going out of business. Let's put it that way. We won't shed any tears for them.
1: No, but I mean that's like the. Hugh Freeze, I don't know whether he signed it or just agreed to it, but a three-year or six-year, three million dollar deal at Liberty. So if you want him, okay, yeah, you're spending twenty-one to get rid of Gus. Then you're spending whatever to get Hugh out of that, and then you're bringing in staff. I mean, this is this could be a thirty million dollar deal before you sign the deal with the next guy. You know, in terms of what you are paying just to just to make this thing happen. So I mean, it, it just you know. College football finances continue to blow my mind, uh, especially in times like this when when all we have heard since April is, oh my gosh, doom and gloom. We got to tighten our belts. You know, we've got to look for ways to save money. Oh, wait, we're six and four? Fire the guy and give him 21
0: million. Get the next guy in here. That's the Auburn way. War eagle. War damn eagle. Bro, They never should have signed this deal in the first place. That's the problem, where you owe them this much money. Right. You know, again, like... I guess you had to keep him from going to Arkansas, but why did you? At what point did anyone think that that was? They got excited because he beat Alabama three years ago, so they signed this massive deal, and here we are. All right, so here's one school of thought: is you you only fire a guy that you're going to pay out tens of millions of dollars because you have a coach ready to go. That this right, you don't make this move and then wander about one thing that I do like about Auburn's decision. Is this year does not look like there are going to be a lot of big moves. Texas right. Saturday, uh, Chris Del Conte came out and said Tom Herman is our coach, so we're going to presume he's back. Michigan looks like it's going to keep Jim Harbaugh unless an NFL job comes along. USC is going to keep their coach. Uh, you know Clay Helton is going to stay there. So in any given year, you can only get there's there's you know here's the top ten candidates that are available to move. And then here are the top 10 jobs, and they kind of filter in. And if you're Auburn and you're gonna, you're it's a very, very good job, but it's not Texas, Michigan, or USC. So let's say those three do open in a year, or and there, and there's others. Tennessee could open, uh um, Virginia Tech could open. There's a whole bunch of jobs that could open. You're stuck down the line a little bit, and you can't get that top guy right now. The only open jobs are Vanderbilt, Arizona. And Illinois, Auburn's the best job out there. So they might be the most attractive job if nothing else happens. And who knows? We could be doing another emergency pod in in (laughs) half an hour. uh, This is how it works. Auburn may get the pick of the litter this year and say, yeah, I want this guy. Where next year, if you wait and there's a backlog of firings, you're down the line and you're not going to get the guy the, the top-line guy. So I, that's kind of an interesting strategy of saying, hey, we're actually going to be jump ahead of the list here, and we think we can get... I don't think Mario Cristobal is going to do it. they got to pay, pay out. But let's say you could get them this year, and you get them, But next year, you couldn't because... Texas gets them or, you know, whatever the deal is. So there's something to be said by that, right? Yeah,
1: no, I think out of the candidates, Cristobal would fit that sort of rubric of, hey, we could get ahead of some other people who may want him. But otherwise, the candidate pool at Auburn is going to be a little bit different than other places. It is a good job. But like Michigan's not going to go hire Hugh Freeze. Texas is not going to hire Hugh Freeze. Auburn might well hire Hugh Freeze. There, there are certain places where Hugh is kind of born to coach and Auburn would be, would be one of them, uh, certainly over some of the other ones. And that, you know, I think you're, you are right that the run on coaches next year could be humongous. I mean, there could be a lot of jobs open, big jobs, big names, but I would hope, you know, also that, that schools that are looking at this can say, Hey, we're paying our AD and our assistant AD and our third assistant, our fourth assistant, fifth assistant, a lot of money so they can do things like find good coaching uh, staffs and good coaches to hire. And we're paying a search firm to help us. And you can find Tom Allen or you can find Matt Campbell, who were not hot names really uh, you know, a few years ago, but now they're doing great work uh, in the Big Ten and the Big 12, respectively. You know, who are those next group of guys like that? Uh, I would like to see athletic directors be able to to find those people and, and fill power five jobs with them.
0: The SEC clearly doesn't like Hugh Freeze. Can they block the hire, Pat? No, it's a great question, uh, because Greg
1: Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, is not a fan of Hugh Freeze, not a fan of his tenure at Ole Miss. You know that he was he blocked Hugh from getting a couple of jobs in the SEC a couple of years ago, coordinator jobs, analyst jobs, whatever. There were schools that wanted him, and Sankey basically said, mm, "I'm putting a low key show cause penalty on uh, on Hugh Freeze." Now, would he block him at the head coach level? I don't know, but I, you know, there there is definitely a belief that since there were major sanctions there, that whoever is the president or the president of Auburn may have to get on the phone at least with Sankey and say. This is why we'd like to hire him and then listen to Sankey say, we wish you wouldn't. Now you can still do what you want if you're the president of Auburn. And I think we know what that Auburn is basically wired that way anyway. They're not, they're not sitting around waiting for approval to do what they want to do. Uh, but uh, it, that's a, that, is, that will be something to watch, is whether there is any sort of conference-level impediment to Hugh uh, being a candidate or the successor to Gus Malzahn at Auburn.
0: Four. Hello, small sample Heisman. How about that? We don't believe in waiting to the end of the year to hand out the Heisman. So we hand it out every week. Small
2: sample Heisman. My small sample Heisman went to fifth string freshman walk-on quarterback at New Mexico, Isaiah Chavez. In New Mexico's 49 to 39 win. Over Fresno State this weekend, Chavez went 14 of 18 with one touchdown. But think about that for a minute. On your displaced team living in like an abandoned Las Vegas hotel, the fifth string walk-on freshman quarterback leads you to 49 points. Isaiah Chavez, you are the small sample has Good
1: one, especially the, the first win and last win for New Mexico. Nice for them to have that. Uh, I'm going bloodlines here for my uh, small sample Heisman. Uh, Very disappointing day on the snowy field in Boulder, Colorado for the Colorado Buffaloes. They lost their undefeated season. They were beaten by uh, the Utah Utes. But did we see the next great Rice come out? Freshman Brendan Rice, son of Jerry Rice, my favorite non-Bronco of all time. Uh, An 81-yard punt return touchdown and a 61-yard pass reception touchdown for Rice. Uh, In that game, looked like a little bit like his old man making some of those plays there. So, small sample Heisman to
0: Brendan Rice, son of Jerry Rice, Colorado. Uh, All right, we've said a lot of mean things on the podcast Uh, per usual. This is our challenge to say something nice. Can we say anything nice? I can and I will about a team and a
1: program that we have just smashed all season. Uh, but they deserved it, but but now they deserve a little bit of praise. <laughs> they did. LSU, reigning national champions. They've been horrible this year. Ed Orgeron's team has been a wreck. I've compared him to Gene Chizik about 1,000 times. But in a game that I thought I really expected them to just pack it in and roll over, with very few scholarship players, with Eric Gilbert, their star freshman tight end, leaving the program this week, with Derek Stingley, their star quarterback, not playing, going into the swamp with a new another freshman starting quarterback. They've started three different quarterbacks this season. Uh, Max Johnson, son of Brad Johnson, speaking of uh, bloodlines. And you come out and, and look, they showed some pride. And that's we we have said Ed Orgeron can motivate, will motivate. And he had his team motivated, ready to go, go in there and shock the world. And by golly, they did. Now they need a little bit of shoot throwing help, but they showed up and they played a really, really inspired
2: game the whole night. So way to go, LSU. I'm gonna say something nice about ball state the boys from Muncie were very close to being on the losing end of the single worst flea flicker since the Stanford-Cal game back in, what was that, 1980, Pat? 82. The band wasn't on the field, but all the Cardinals were when Western Michigan was running past guys without their helmets on. That was just like, an intoxicating 15 lateral football porn <laughs> situation. I read the explanations of why the refs like called it dead because of there, but then all the ball state players were on the field, but that personal foul got negated. It sounded totally made up, but long story short <laughs> ball state won. ball state is going to the Mac title game. That game was uh, deciding the Mac West uh, credit. Mike New. he was the Saints quarterback coach. Now, you want a pretty good job in the NFL. It's being Drew Brees' quarterback coach, right? He left there to go coach his alma mater. In their second year, they went 2-10, and 10, and he built it up. They have 23 seniors, basically got a little better each year. This is going to be their first bowl game under Mike New. It's going to be their first MAC title game under Mike New. Drew Plitt, the senior quarterback, is playing in that Joe Burrow system that we saw so much of last year, and I'm not saying Drew Plitt is Joe Burrow. But it's been fun to see him develop and grow into that. And uh, yeah, don't uh, don't just assume old Buffalo is going to run all over Ball State on Friday night in the MAC title game. Uh, hats off to Mike New and Ball State for uh, reaching new heights in this wacky year.
0: That is our podcast this week. A lot of overreaction. We'll be back on Wednesday for more. Uh, we're going to break down this whole playoff chase to start certain out. And uh, we appreciate y'all listening. Please subscribe, keep listening, share us on social media, tell your friends about us, and uh, we'll talk to you then.